Welcome back to another episode of The Success Bug. Got another great interview with a young, successful, relatable entrepreneur. His name is Jeroen Courthout, founder of Salesflare, which is an intelligent CRM and email outreach platform used by thousands of small to medium-sized B2B businesses who want to sell more with less work. Jeroen sits down to talk about how he went from being a marketing specialist to business school to being a two-times founder and eventually starting Salesflare and how it all began. Please enjoy Jeroen Courthout. How's it going? What's up? Pretty well with you? Pretty good. It's been a while, right? It's been a while. Well, there we go. Yeah, I've been excited for this one. You know, you know, CRMs in general are, are very cool. And I know that Salesflare is its own unique thing. You know, when I, before the, the meeting started, I was kind of looking at your LinkedIn. And one of the first things that jumped out to me was that you seem to have a very interesting background. Like you started out as a marketing specialist and now you're a two times founder. And I just find that super interesting. Where I really wanted to start with is how you really found yourself going from, you know, more of a traditional career path to start out to now where you are today, which is having founded two companies uh, and being, you know, in charge essentially of of both of them and heading the the efforts there. Yeah, actually, I started off with biomedical engineering, so I'm an an engineer by education. Wow. So I'm not a marketer. Uh, well, I've I've actually always been in marketing job wise. Right. Uh, but study wise, uh, I studied engineering. Um, I always wanted to create stuff, bring stuff to people. Uh, initially, that meant engineering for me. And that was really interesting. I uh, I started off with electronical engineering, yeah, and then specialized in biomedical applications, which uh, seemed like a, an interesting way to first make make more impact than some of the other electrotechnical uh, specializations, but also made that I could study a lot of medical things, which was cool. Right. But then when I started applying for jobs, none of the jobs that I got felt like I was actually going to create something with people it's, it sounded like i was going to be in the back room uh, yeah, doing stuff, right. and then someone else would talk to the customer and i really didn't like that so after a, a set of interviews where it was always the same thing i decided to apply for business school and it's there that i sort of discovered i i sort of already knew that i wanted to start my own company but i wanted to get some experience first and that probably the best place to know how that is starting a company putting a product in the market and all that was to start in marketing Hmm. and i started at a a big pharma company it's a u.s company called baxter i was marketing specialist there which basically means i was product manager but the most junior one uh, in the whole team Uh, so i had uh, a few vaccines i was promoting so it was a one was a a flu vaccine actually and another one was a something for kids i forgot <laughs> something kids get when they're really small and another one was a thick encephalitis and i was also helping a few other product product managers with their products yeah now i was imagining that i was going to work with customers and put stuff in the market uh, it was very much the opposite i was not even supposed to talk to patients talk to doctors sure but that also wasn't really my job because i was actually supporting the sales team in doing that Plus, as I was in a local role, uh, yeah. I was in the Bel- Belgian office. Everything basically was already decided at global or European level. So you so wanted more say I, in everything. Yeah. yeah. All I could do yeah. is basically <laughs> take the European brochure in English. Yeah. Uh, think like, okay, how can I, how can I uh, remake this uh, for the local market in Dutch and in French? Right. Those are the two languages in Belgium where I live. And then train the sales team to use that. None of the things were really modern either. I was like the only person there, for instance, that knew how to build a website. Interesting. Websites were sort of the new thing. Yeah. But it happened in a really weird way and everything was super controlled and stuff. So at some point I wanted to get out of that. I thought about ideas to start my own company right away from there. I met the guy who had an, an agency sort of in the direction that I wanted to start one. Yeah, yeah. And that was helping pharma companies to become digital, essentially on the, on the business side. So marketing, right. sales, CRM, how to modernize that in pharma companies. And uh, I joined the company that did that when they were 
35 people and they grew they were like small starting out 65 or something wow. um, so almost doubled and i was the youngest account manager there so okay it was a, an amazing learning opportunity did, did you feel like because obviously there was a, a sense of limitation at the first job right one Huge. was it was it frustrating and how did that feel to not be able to you know have that type of impact and input early on and two after that, that was, i'm kind of interested in in general i know you said you met you were in belgium and france i'm interested in what that culture was like and if that had to do at all with the way you came up and wanting to make a bigger impact oh well that that definitely has something to do with it yeah it's a lot of factors coming together obviously uh first of all i was in a in a role that already didn't have a lot of not a big scope no yeah. huge responsibilities a good salary and all but uh, the, the things i i could decide were really uh, limited Right. And then I was working for a few other people as well, which wasn't easy. I was a junior one, so they would basically dump all their work on me. Pharma is quite conservative. They need okay. to be. There's all kinds of regulations. Right. and They can get sued for different things. and Pushed back, and it's a, it's a huge battle to get something done. On top of that, yes, uh, in Belgium, uh, we're not the most revolutionary people in terms of culture. It's more mm-hmm. of a conservative culture everything is good the way it is and we want to keep it that way and stuff right right where'd you get that perspective from that's kind of the culture and you're coming in here wanting to make an immediate type of impact and really try to change things and have input on how things are moving and and evolving i think that's something people of our age sort of sort of learned we've been told that we could change the world and all that it's partly also get it from internet culture Mm-hmm. Even though, like, I'm in Belgium, for instance, I don't feel like the Belgian culture needs to define me or so, mm-hmm. uh, because you can always find like-minded people on the internet about right. any topic or any group. You can communicate and use that as your culture rather yeah, than right. local thing or so. I right, think that right. applies to us all. It has become much, much easier to collaborate, to form cultures and subcultures and all those kind of things through the internet. Right. So you utilize the internet in a way, and that kind of is what fueled you a little bit to be able to be more open-minded and kind of move past that type of culture bounds that are kind of there in Belgium a little bit. I think so, but it's a general thing amongst amongst youngsters nowadays. I think yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really a youngster anymore, but uh, <laughs> you know, when you like the guys that work for us, for instance, yeah, they they're all like that, right? In a way, did did business school at all? You know, going there and feeling like you you know needed to make a shift and try to put oh. yourself in position to start somewhere. Do you think that had a major impact on being like, all right, I went here, I'm you know, prepared now, I am qualified to do these things and these big ambitions that I have can be made true. Definitely business school. That's actually one of the things they try to do to you in business school. They try to pump up your, uh, your confidence or your ego. Nice. Um, it's, uh, they want to be like, you know, I, I remember one of the first days, the, um, the, the program coordinator, um, he stood in front of the class and he said, you guys are the future captains of industry. That kind of talk. Yeah, a lot of pressure. (laughs) They try to um, they try to put your expectations high, so that when you exit business school, you're going to uh, strive uh, to be successful. Because one of the things a business school is graded on is um, the the salary increase that people get from before to after business school, or if mm. in, in, in my case, it was not an, an MBA, it was a master in general management. So it's straight out of school, but then still like they're graded on how much uh, people earn on average when they right. three years after they exit. So it's, it's something they're really. <laughs> so they're, they, they have uh, some skin in the game themselves. Like they, they want you guys Absolutely. to go out there and kind of take over the world a little bit. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I have a lot of friends uh, and my wife also went to the same business school. Um, oh, wow. And it, I think it's a similar thing for everyone. Everyone came out of business school with huge ambitions. Um, some of them are really still pushing it. A lot of uh, people already scaled down these ambitions a little. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because you obviously go out into the real world and things don't move as, as fast as you, you would maybe think. Right. And you also... Uh, get older uh, a little i would say right um 
but yeah, no, business school definitely also has, has an impact. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. Um, you know, it kind of moved the needle for you, particularly. Um, you know, and I know it's a topic that is kind of controversial when it comes to entrepreneurs. Like some entrepreneurs, you know, will say that you know, school, you don't need school. All this stuff, you can go out and do all this X, Y, Z. And then other entrepreneurs are more, you know, practical with things, and they're they're thinking that you should, you know get your education, you should give yourself all opportunities to succeed so that in a way you're kind of spreading out and hedging your bets a little bit. So you have multiple ways to be able to start a business. So where do you fall on that? Do you think that somebody trying to start a business should go to business school or is it something that you feel is optional and kind of specific to your experiences? Um, I think it definitely has a benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general school, um i think you need school what what amount of actual school you need is the question what Mm. type is also the question now i think going to a sort of classical school uh, Mm. system is um the right thing for most people because it's just um easy and you'll go through it and uh while you you could maybe find better things uh elsewhere or online or so uh, but then you need all the the discipline. It's not a, it's an it's a it's a different path you choose. Mm. Uh, it might be better, but you also then need to stick to that path and go for it and find out everything yourself and all those kind of things. So, right. Um, when it comes to, well, I I really feel like I studied engineering, um, which shaped my thinking partly. Uh, studied business school, which which also shaped my thinking. I think it's it's a it's a thing I can I can build on now as a daily basis. Is it absolutely necessary? Maybe not, but it but it does have a have a have a have a great benefit. Right. I personally wish that I would have started um, and and maybe failed uh, with businesses earlier uh, while I was still studying. I I had some projects here and there, but nothing yeah. uh, substantial. Now. In terms of business school, also keep in mind that business school is not meant um, to uh, make you an entrepreneur. It's yeah. uh, it is it is to survive in corporate life. Mm. Um, now, some business schools have entrepreneurship programs nowadays, but many of those are still uh, the sort of entrepreneurship education that is stuck in the past, where they ask yeah. you to write a business plan of forty pages uh, instead of really uh, working on a business, which which generally starts not with writing a business plan, but with talking to customers. Right. Uh, in business school, they do the opposite. It all happens in your mind. Oh, okay, you so it's plan. Philosophical. It's going to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, it's, a, it's a really weird way of teaching it. So is they do a. Re- that's a great point because you mentioned they have like entrepreneurship programs in particular. And that's not really the route you took, particularly in business school. So was there a reason for that? Was that you thinking, you know, you kind of wanted to know more about that other side and that other style of learning? Or at that time, were you still kind of not really feeling that you wanted to start a business of your own, but you just wanted to have more input and more say in what was going on? Mm, there there weren't any programs, at least that I knew of, ah, okay. uh, that were around entrepreneurship. So I did general gotcha. management. Now, two two of the people who work for us actually studied at business school as well. Another one, and they did the entrepreneurship program. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but that was a rather new thing. Uh, I also had an entrepreneurship course or two, even I think, um, and and business strategy and a few things like that. But but this it's very theoretical. Um, not really. It doesn't. It gives you a sort of theoretical background for starting a business but it's not at all pragmatic gotcha um, and it's definitely the way they attack things there are not the way you attack things in real life gotcha so it seems like right like it's it seems like the side of business school that you kind of attended was more pragmatic and and strategic whereas what you're explaining with entrepreneurship it's a little bit more you know uh philosophical like you said before and and more about the the mindset and the thoughts of it um but it seems mainly like you're your, your biggest takeaway from business school is the discipline and, um, you know, the having a, basically a set schedule that kind of keeps you on task to move toward that goal as opposed to individual learning, which is obviously 
out there. Anybody can go on YouTube and, and all these places like Udemy and get courses online. But if I'm correct, like what you're saying is that it's a little bit harder to stay on, on the ball and actually keep yourself disciplined mm-hmm. to actually learn when you're not actually, you know, in school with money on the line, like you have to get these grades done and things like that. Well, uh, business school is, is slightly different than general education in the sense that um, mm-hmm. the, the things you learn are not as important as well, so at university, for instance, you mm-hmm. basically, there's a teacher, he tells you stuff, you read a book, you understand theory and you have an exam about that. Business school, you, um, you, they, they teach you stuff, you solve cases, you have group works around these cases, you make reports, wow. um, and you, um, it, a lot of it is, is around trying to apply it still theoretically, but, uh, <laughs> and, and doing that together. So partly you learn to, um, to apply business stuff. Yeah. And partly you you already have a first idea also of like what is it to efficiently work together, uh, and part of it is also uh, learning from each other. So they select the the students in the class in such a way that there's a, there's a diverse class, mm. and and part of the reason why, for instance, uh, what I did the master general management just after your studies, and an MBA has such a as a a, a, a different price is that in an MBA, the students you are with all have more experience. Uh, right. The courses are very similar, uh, but the student body, uh, they say, is, is different. Right. No, that makes sense for sure. So it's, it's more like real life applications that you would see and less about the, you know, typical school experience, the grades and, and essays yeah. and things like that. The um, grades are sort of, you know, they almost everyone passes. Okay. Right. So it's not as big of a, a focus. Okay. Yeah. We don't have to talk to any more about business school. I'm sure you've had enough of business of school and, and, and all of that. That's why you became an entrepreneur. But yeah, I think that's super interesting. I just love to, to dig into that because I don't know too much about it. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs probably consider that. And it's came up a lot. It's come up a lot on this podcast. So uh, super helpful, specifically with Salesflare. I would love to know, you know, how, how going to business school and how your experiences in the past led you to founding this company. And obviously we'll go into what Salesflare is. Uh, I'll let you explain that. I know it's really cool, but um, your background kind of all leading up to it is super interesting. You know, the background in marketing, than life sciences to to what Salesflare is, I think is super cool. Yeah, so I I, I, um, I talked earlier about how I joined this consultancy that helped pharma companies yeah. uh, become more like modernize and become more digital and in marketing, sales, CRM, and all that. Right. Um, I did that for four years. Uh, there was a lot of uh, Salesforce involved, mm-hmm. which is the, the market leader in the CRM space. By the way, CRM means uh, customer relationship management. Yeah. So in the broadest sense, it's everything that has to do with customers uh, to manage that in a system. Um, like traditionally, it's thought of as a big database. Uh, more and more, it also involves really managing these relationships so, uh, like facilitating the communication. Like nowadays, you can send emails and CRMs and call and plan meetings and right. so that you can really like really manage the customer relationship, yeah. not just the data about the customer relationship. In the, but every in the interaction with it, it's all there. Yeah. But you can also do the interactions. Right. Through the CRM. Through the CRM. Yeah. And um we used Salesforce um, with our big clients, which for them was a dream because they all came from these uh, really old systems, usually uh, right. Siebel from Oracle, a horrible thing. Um, and they went to Salesforce and they saw it. Like, Great thing. But when we implemented these kind of things and we use it in projects, what we saw is that uh, actually the sales team still didn't really use it. New system or not, fancier or not, they still were like, eh. so interesting. We saw a similar thing actually in um, in our own team. Uh, the CEO of the company would probably disagree, 
but the the usage by the sales team uh, was quite uh, abysmal. So we basically um, put accounts in there that we were in touch with, like companies we were in touch with. We would put opportunities in there so that management could see it. We would put contacts in there if it made sense to put them on the newsletter. But then everything else uh, sort of wasn't there. Uh, and it all felt sort of like a, a management reporting tool uh, where management had a view on things, but but never really as a, as a sales tool. Never, like we wouldn't uh, keep our tasks in Salesforce. <clears throat> Uh, we wouldn't put uh, our meetings in Salesforce. At some point they said, you need to put uh, 10 meetings a month in, in Salesforce and then magically yeah. all of a sudden everybody had 10 meetings. In. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, we wouldn't uh, track any emails, nothing. So it's it was really like, just like to show. So you had stuff just, here. Oh, it wasn't all in the database like it's, like it's meant to be. It was like spread around a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, indeed. Instead things... Where were they? They were in our Outlook. Uh, yeah. Our emails there. Yeah. Calendar, yeah. Uh, tasks. Uh, maybe some people were using another task system. Uh, what you see in some customers of ours uh, before they start using Salesforce, for instance, they have Salesforce and then all the salespeople have an Excel file next to their Salesforce. Yes. Uh, when you think about it. Yeah, because uh, all the, you're saying all the data should already be in Salesforce. That's like the whole idea, right? Yeah. But then, but then salespeople find that too cumbersome and it doesn't really help them. So they just build an easier system for themselves, uh, which is then very often a spreadsheet. Yes. Um, but it can also be even simpler than that. Um, now, I never really did anything with that uh, frustration until the moment that uh, I started working with my uh, co-founder uh, on building out the marketing and sales for his company as a, a software company. Yeah. And we tried to manage our, the follow-up of our leads in a good way because we, we had something like 130 leads, good ones that wanted to buy from us, but we had to do a lot of follow-up to get there. And that, that was really difficult. Um, it was really difficult to manage all these relationships at the same time. Yeah, I know that Salesforce definitely wasn't the solution, not a handy tool, not, not really helping there. We tried some other ones that were more built for CRM, like they call sales CRMs. Um, but also with all of those, we failed. And what failed exactly is that uh, we would start off enthusiastically. So we yeah. put stuff in there, manage, like, oh, it's well organized. And then... Uh, at some point, we would start slacking a little with the data inputs uh, because these systems require an enormous amount of input of like, you know, oh, I just met this person. You have to log, in, in, log things address, every time you uh, have an activity. Creates, type of thing. Yeah, it's it's the activities. It's adding new contacts to companies yeah. when you meet them. Emails, it's, uh, right? Yeah, it's and and if if they email you with an email signature copying the data in there. You're, you're constantly um, typing stuff and copying information over from here to there just to be able to manage your sales in a better way. And it's so uh, painful yeah, that yeah. everyone always gradually or, or immediately, uh, but, but very often it's gradually, you start giving up. And at some point, your whole sales system falls apart, um, which happened to us as well. Uh, so we start looking for a solution. And we figured that, well, actually, this this is it's really weird that all these systems require so much data inputs. And it's even though uh, you're going to force salespeople, uh, we, in this case, it was just for us. But if you have a team, what very often happens is um, bonuses are taken away if people don't use the CRM or oh, wow. or uh, or they're fired or because they're not doing it properly. Yeah. <laughs> That, I can see how that could be a problem though, right? Because like if you don't log things and you are to leave the company, all of a sudden any you know contact you've had with somebody kind of goes out the window when you know somebody takes over an account or something like that and they don't know any of the history. So I guess Definitely. that could be the biggest yeah. problem. But I get I also get why people don't want to fucking do that because that is the, that is the, the longer term effects. Uh, yeah. so that the, the short term effect is that you don't really have a system to organize yourself. 
yeah. to follow up leads in the right way. It's not there. But then indeed, uh, someone falls sick, uh, maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time, or they leave the company. Yeah. You have no idea, like, who was the person in touch with, uh, about what, yeah. when. Uh, it's all lost. Um, so it's very hard to uh, maintain things. Every time somebody leaves or is, is, is not there, it's just... Um, but then we saw that uh, actually the information that, that you're, you're putting into the CRM is already in different places mm. and it's electronically available. So we thought like, can we build a system that actually connects into all these places, uh, centralizes the information automatically, organize it, connects it, and then make sure that you can very easily curate, curate it. So you don't need to do all that data input and all that data gathering. The, the computers, uh, so to speak, can do that for you. Um, and then from there, you can organize your sales in a better way. And that was uh, in 2014 and um, seven years and a half ago. Wow. Uh, we had that idea. Wow. <laughs> and um, we sort of quickly um, put aside, well, first we said, oh, well, let's work on this a bit more. And, but then we put aside the other company um and we started focusing on this because we saw this this huge issue lots of crm systems yeah and none of them really um worked really well on the longer term after implementation uh, and we thought we could fix that if we just make one that um, focuses on that really big pain where people have to fill it out right uh, and we can fix that issue right that's interesting like i, I think my first question to that is that you know, I, I use Salesforce myself and I, I've had some experience with Salesforce and, you know, the way you're explaining it, I totally get, like, I think there are a lot of things that people just don't want to do because it just kind of takes time and people are doing other things or especially in sales, people are probably reaching out to people and spending their time doing other things. And the last thing they want to do at the end of the day is kind of log every single interaction they're having uh, when it's not automatic and there's no type of integration. So, why in why is that the case? Why is it the case that Salesforce is the market leader? Were they just kind of the first people to jump on the idea of a CRM and it just became kind of the most prominent name, household name? Or is it that for other reasons that they just do things really well that uh, we haven't touched on? Um, it's they were it, Salesforce wasn't the first CRM. Mm. It is the first CRM of a new generation. Okay. And that means like back in the day, you well, the first one to, to become big. So back in the day, there were things like Goldmine uh, yeah. already in the, in the 90s. And, and those were systems like the, the sort of programs you would install on your computer. Uh, and then really old looking stuff yeah. with like type your things and then it would be there. And then maybe there was a way to synchronize it somewhere. But, but it was software that you had on your computer. Now, the Salesforce uh, was started by one of the, the higher-ups, senior vice presidents, I think, of uh, Oracle, who saw that the internet was coming up. And he could actually build a, a sort of new version of CRM, which would um, run in the cloud. Uh, and the cloud was not a... a did they just invent the name? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> the, the, it basically meant like we have servers, we we uh, run the software on there, and you can then uh, just go into your browser and access a page on which you can then manage stuff. Right. It's like, uh, like uh, we used to have Outlook on our computer and then there was Gmail in the cloud. Got it. Got sort it. of uh, the same thing. That the advantage of that system is that um, everything is managed centrally. Like uh, if the software needs an update, all you need to do is update the, the thing on the server. You don't need to go update it on all the computers. Right. Uh, so it kind of because, eliminates some annoying steps for people. Yeah. And and it's uh, that way you can do everything way, way cheaper. Uh, and you can start billing in different ways. You don't need to uh, bill people at the moment they buy it a full price or full price and then renewal or whatever. Right. Uh, you can you can make it a subscription. And that's when, when SaaS, Software as a Service, was born. So Salesforce was really early with that and could really push it 
And they started with small businesses, but then very quickly um, uh, went into the enterprises and mm-hmm. started selling this new way of doing things. And as they were like the big known name out there, they were able to grab so much market share. Um, is, is that, did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I no, for sure. The was. Yeah. No, no, that, that totally, that totally kind of answered it. I think still like, I guess my only question now is like, do you think the reason they're still as relevant as they are now is that, like you said, they just kind of grabbed a ton of the market share jumping on, you know, the SaaS type of model early, um, you know, because obviously there are some limitations with it that it seems like Salesflare kind of, you know, capitalizes on and, and caters to people who have those frustrations with it. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. so the uh, Salesforce in the, in, we are focusing on small and medium sized businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely in the small ones, Salesforce is, is not really strong. They're very right. strong in the enterprises. That's what the software is entirely built for. Uh, and then they have a light version of the enterprise thing for small businesses, but it's, it's really not, not well catered to them. Um, I forgot the question. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it uh, again, <laughs> but, um, I, I think, so to that point, to your point just now, like what, what differences do small businesses need on a CRM compared to like a gigantic enterprise or a gigantic type of business, which is what Salesforce, you know, mainly kind of makes the big bucks on and Salesflare yeah. focuses on the smaller to medium size. So what a, what a, what a big enterprise will look for is um, especially with a CRM, which is so central in the organization, yeah. is something that they can customize to their needs. So something where they can say like, okay, this, this should actually be like that and that we're going to shape like that. They basically um, are a big machine uh, with all kinds of processes and the software they take in needs to adapt to all the pro- these processes and, and uh, support them. A smaller company will actually look at like, what is it we need to solve? Look for software and find something uh, out of the box, maybe still sort of customizable, but not like highly customizable. So look at Salesforce like, like a, you, you buy building blocks and then you get a team of consultants and they, they build something with the building blocks for you. While a CRM like ours is something you, you just, you connect your emails. There's some stuff you can, you can change, like you can change your pipeline, you can add some fields and stuff but it, it doesn't go really far. Um, mm. And as a small business, you want something quick, you yeah. want some, something pragmatic, something that is built for end users, uh, something that you can roll out and you'll sort of adapt your processes to the software. Uh, but usually the software is built in such a, uh, such a way that it fits the processes of most companies that get it. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's an entirely different yeah. um, uh, type of software, and this is also what makes Salesforce weak in the small businesses is they build their software uh, for extreme customizability, which means that uh, if you log into Salesforce, like every screen sort of looks like the same. It needs to be built in a very generic way, yeah. and you can move, move things, things around. around and all that. It's not they they don't have the the opportunity to really um, think through each screen in such a way that it really mm. supports what the person is going to do. Got it. You know I mean? So you're saying like, rather than customizing it for the people they think are using the platform, they're just like, here, you know, this screen, you can do whatever you want with it, just set it up however you want. Like we're just providing the service. Yeah. It's, up to, it's up to you to, to set it up for it to make sense. But then somebody logs yeah. on, that's a smaller business and they're like, what the hell is this? I, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like that. It's also, it's also just that you cannot do the two things at the same time. You cannot have something Mm. super customizable, which is also, um, um, which is also well customized (laughs) (laughs) for for a specific purpose because it's not built for a specific purpose. It's built for a general purpose. Right. Right. So you're saying that people don't want as many, options when they don't need them like it's like if they 
or a small business, they small probably don't businesses. need. Yeah, small businesses yeah. don't need half of the things that are on there. So it's just kind of overwhelming uh, to kind of look at it. Yeah. Also that. Yeah. Small Is that what you like something? Yeah. No, partly. Um, no, it's it's. Um, how can I better explain it? Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's hard to make concrete um i think the concept is there i think anyone like it does make sense like in a general sense it's kind of like um and feel free to jump in if i'm off the mark here but it, it kind of reminds me of dropbox a little bit whereas you know they jumped in on this honed in on this one specific thing in terms of cloud storage and then there are things like Google Drive, they came out and all of those types of things, but they're focused on so many other things and so many other big ventures, whereas Dropbox's main focus was just honing right in on the cloud storage. So is Salesflare kind of the Dropbox, like Google Drive, where it's like, we're focusing on this one thing and we're going to do the best effing job at it. Whereas, you know, Salesforce Lite is out there, not necessarily... Uh, capturing what we are capturing for smaller to like medium-sized businesses. That's yeah, that's sort of what it is. <laughs> I, I cannot explain it better. Was that was that like close, or was that did I just sound like an idiot? No, 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 no. I sort of close, but uh, still hard to explain. Still hard to explain. Man. I guess that's what makes I, it a a good product. I'll, I'll come up with a with a better uh, better. Uh, way of explaining for another time, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just built for entirely different purposes and entirely different markets. And yeah, yeah. selling the one to the other market just doesn't make sense, and mm -hmm. that's why so many uh, small businesses are are quite uh, fed up with Salesforce. In in larger businesses, it happens also, but that is mostly the end users that are really upset. Mm. Uh, it serves the organization well, but not necessarily the people who work with it. Yeah, um, which then is yeah, is a sort of tension. Those that kind of things don't really seem business. to go hand in yeah. hand. <laughs> yeah, but in sm in smaller businesses, these tensions are are way smaller. Yeah, uh, because the 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 difference, the distance between what the end user needs and the sort of benefits thereafter and the benefits to the organization are much closer to each other. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So it seems like from the very beginning, it's been around for seven and a half years now. From the beginning, it seems to have hit, you know, a chord with people who were kind of frustrated with Salesforce and, you know, needed something simpler and more mm -hmm. user friendly for their experience. So were there ever any points throughout building Salesflare where there were kind of hiccups where like, is this going to work? Don't know if it's going to work or was it from the mark kind of like, okay, we struck gold here. This is a good one. No, it was always a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling right now. It was a right struggle now. from the get go. <laughs> uh, no. So the struggle started with, okay. so we, we thought we're going to build this thing that um, uh, automates CRM, right? So that's a, uh, ambitious, but it's, yeah. uh, so getting all these integrations set up first was hard. Yeah. Plus then uh, when you, when you sell a CRM, then people are expecting a lot of features. So mm -hmm. you have to build all those. Uh, we were building for a year, I think uh, up till the, the moment that we, we got our first customer it took us a year from starting to build the software to getting the first subscriber on the software. Oh, wow. Uh, in between, it was also hard to get the first people to use it because first we, we had uh, the integrations all set up and everything was coming in, but the, the interface was still built in such a way that people were like, huh, I don't get it. So it's still uh, a work so, in progress. Yeah. So it, it needed a lot of, lot of polishing. Then to... Uh, make the whole process very smooth. Uh, it took us another year, I think, uh, before oh, wow. we could actually launch it online. First, setting up the integrations was really hard. So we we had a way of doing it, but 
uh, it, it was a struggle for people to connect their emails and right. uh, connect their calendar and all these kind of things. And, and that's like the most got how that worked. Yeah. yeah. That was like one of the most important parts of it too. Right. That was like one of the biggest yeah. frustrations with Salesforce was like having to manually do all that type of stuff. Yeah. So we, we had to guide people through it. Now that was good because manually doing it taught us a lot of things like uh, about the customers, right? The, the context, why they were setting up, what problem they were trying to solve, what, uh, how they were uh, using Salesforce, all the specificities about that, all the little things that went wrong, uh, we could fix, but it was a long and uh, arduous process. Now, from there, when things started working, uh, the next uh, challenge uh, started, and that's the fact that uh, even though we are fixing uh, a big issue with CRM, it's very hard to um, convey that yeah. because m- many CRMs will use similar messaging. They will, will say things like, we eliminate data inputs and we've, uh, yeah, whatever, it's really easy and, mm. and simple kind of user for, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, so the deal you put that on your site, nobody believes you because others have, have said it and have not, um, delivered actually that. done it. Right. Yeah. At that, that we're in a, in a market where I think today we're over 700 CRMs or so. Wow. And oh, that's crazy. there are some really big ones out there with a lot of money to get visibility, which means that uh, for us, it's, it's, it's first on a marketing level, at least when, when we can show the system and, and get people to work with it, it's a different thing. But on a marketing level, it's hard to tell people that it's different. And there's many, uh, at least from the eyes of the people looking at it, very, a lot of similar stuff in the market. Right. So, Right. There, so did, yeah. To get these eyeballs, that is uh, that is something we're working on still to this day. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work. Right. So did you kind of go into the idea, you know, w- fully aware of the competition and that other CRMs were out there? Or was it something you kind of were like, oh, shit, this is something that we're going to have to kind of deal with on the fly? Uh, no, we were aware that there was a lot You're of competition. Aware, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. we were aware that uh, there were some really big players out there and all those kind of things. Uh, we didn't know it was going to be so hard. And we also didn't know it was going to be so hard to, uh, to convey the difference. We thought right. the difference was going to be really obvious. Um, <laughs> but we found out that it is not the way things work. Uh, it's not because, uh, it is obvious when you use it for, for a while, Mm-hmm. that it's also obvious uh, at the moment you visit the website, for instance. And we right. sort of didn't understand that at the start. Gotcha. So, and combine that with the distrust from people who had tried other CRMs promising X, Y, and Z and it not working out. And then they see, oh, what is this sales flare now? It's another one of those CRMs that's just going to, you know, lose me money and time type of thing, even though yeah. eventually now it be, it's become what it is. Yeah. Definitely. And it takes a, uh, takes a lot of things to change that in people's minds. Gotcha. Uh, sometimes reviews help. Um, but um, yeah. So how long did it take to kind of get things off the ground and be like, okay, the struggles are still here, but behind us. And this is going to be something that kind of works out. Um, well, it is working out, but I would never say that the struggles are behind us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a struggle every day, and we just yeah. I mean, let's say we the, the problems we're facing are always better problems, but uh, problems remain. Yeah. Uh, well, so, will that ever no. really end in a way? Like, as a, no, yeah, no, never. <laughs> no, <laughs> in a good way though. It's like they become less, uh, you know, business threatening and more kind of like optimizing and like just different ways to improve it at a certain point. Yeah, they're surviving and then there's uh, there's trying to grow faster. Yeah, I think so, obviously. Yeah. Right. So I, I would I assume that more of it was surviving in the beginning and now it's more like uh, oh, growing yeah. and, and uh, <laughs> growing fast. Yeah, indeed. That's uh, and uh, it is it is less stressful already to be working on growing faster than uh, than in the very beginnings where yeah. 
you know, we, we didn't know uh, we could run out of money at any point. Yeah. And that's yeah. not really the, the issue anymore. Right. Yeah. I can, I can see that being very stressful. It's something that I don't really talk about too much on the podcast or it hasn't come up. I think, you know, when you look back at your entire journey with it, you know, it, it obviously had its ups and downs and um, there's a lot of struggles. Like you mentioned, there still are struggles. So when you look at people who are in a position or in a similar position, you might've been, you know, seven and a half years ago, they want to start a business or they want to do something that's kind of not ordinary or kind of out of the ordinary a little bit. What would be your biggest piece of advice to them having, you know, gone through these seven and a half years with sales flare? A bunch of things. Uh, First of all, um, focus on, uh, on a really fundamental problem that you can spend a lot of time, um, solving because you will spend a lot of time solving it yeah many many years if you're uh, successful um well if you if you survive in the first years let's say uh, you will be working on it for many more uh so if 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 it's just something you see and you're like oh this should be fixed but you're not you don't really feel like mm. this is something i can stay passionate about for a long while then don't do it uh, it's also good to solve a problem for people that you um, enjoying being in touch with. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, so, for instance, uh, in early days, people often said to us, "Like, oh, you should build this for real estate people. Uh, there's there's a big opportunity there." But we never did it because we we didn't feel like we wanted to serve real estate people. We didn't really feel the connection. We didn't. Yeah. And if 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 that's not there, then it doesn't make sense. Right. You're just, you have experience and you're going to be in touch with these people all the time. Uh, you don't and, hate their guts. <laughs> what are you talking to? Yeah, no, it's, it's like, you really need to be able to have a really deep connection with customers. Not yeah. Just a, a superficial one, uh, yeah. because that's when you can build a good product and, and sell and all that. So, uh, we decided to focus on, on, um, agencies and tech companies, which is, uh, first of all, we know the space. Yeah. I used right. to work in a, in an agency. We are a tech company. And, you know, um, so that, that, that really helps us to understand these people, but also to connect with them and to build the right things. And, all that. and um, so fundamental problem um, for sort of people you want to be in touch with every day uh, that you understand. So you understand your audience and you, you connect well with them. And then I think um, very important thing is um, for these early days where I said you'll never know whether it survives. Don't take too big too big risks. Mm. Um, even in the beginning, um, if you just let's say you have a job and you you have this business idea and want to start something, first maybe do it next to your job. Uh, yeah, work it out a little. Try to validate the idea. When it gets to a point that you've you've sort of validated, but and it needs some more time, uh, you could go part time at your uh, job. Uh, you can ask like, the transition. Can I just work three days a week or something. Um, then uh, then spend these other days to work on your business. When you feel that it can become something, uh, and you 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 have a good. Uh, sense that 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 it might work then you yeah. can make that jump um ideally maybe even it already uh earned some money yeah for uh, sure. you, you make that jump you go full-time and you build it out uh but don't just uh quit your job <laughs> invest 200k in in, uh, in whatever in a website or so and then yeah and then like oh it didn't work out and then you you lost well, your job uh, and your income and you lost a lot of money. Uh, it's very dangerous. And if you know the stats of uh, how many startups <laughs> fail, oh, yeah. uh, then you can uh, put these things in perspective. I personally had uh, probably three or four startup projects before this one that all failed. Um, so, yeah. No, I mean, the, it makes sense. I mean... It's interesting too because I feel like there are some entrepreneurs that probably would give the opposite advice. Where they're like, "Oh, you got to go head dive in head first, and you got to be all in and commit." Um, but I do think that I fall on the side that you're 
speaking of not just because i'm interviewing right now but uh, it's it is true like i like myself i have a full-time job while i my co-founder and i have this web the blog the website itself um mm -hmm. and that's something that we always kind of talk about is that you know build it up on the side and just see where it goes and then kind of take the leap um but I, I do see especially when you have experience like you do uh with multiple businesses and you know the reality is that they most of them fail right so it's it's probably this in your best interest to yeah. uh, not take that route most of them definitely fail unless you're or an absolute genius or something that's uh probably not like the founders um, of salesflare clearly because it hasn't yeah <laughs> well, like i said I, I had a bunch of projects also that failed like right i didn't think the business model through uh well enough i focused on something that was uh that was temporary so <laughs> after the thing was over it it ended i uh I got into a thing where the team was not really solid, you know, all this kind of yeah. things. Different outside um, factors. Can um, can make 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 a, a business fail. So. Right. Well, it's it's awesome that you've been able to overcome, you know, three failed businesses and really uh, you know, kind of button up and try Salesflare with all the competition there was and you know, make it what it is, you know, still on the growth pattern, but you know, out of the term, out of the terms of, you know, like the early stages. Um, but, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's been an awesome pleasure talking to you. I, I feel like I've learned so much about it. I think everybody listening has to, um, you know, one thing we always love to do before I end the conversation is uh, to give everybody a place they can find you, you know, whether it's online, you know, a page or sales flare itself, um, anywhere they can find you, maybe ask you questions if you're open to that as well. Um, but I do think everybody can get a lot of that, a lot out of that. Yeah. If you want to find out more about Salesflare, the easiest place is salesflare.com and Flare is F-L-A-R-E. Yeah. Uh, you can read about the software. You can check out our blog with a lot of sales advice, et cetera, and uh, try out the software if you like as well. And if you want to get in touch with me, uh, just to connect to, to ask some questions or so, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find my name somewhere close to the episode, I guess. Uh, it's, it's Absolutely. Not, uh, easy to write but uh you'll 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 make it uh well if you make it i know you're really committed uh there's only <laughs> one person with my name so you can't miss yeah but please do include a personal message with the connection request on linkedin yeah uh because i get a lot of spammy connection requests and if you don't include a personal message i'll assume spam okay uh, but if you do include that personal message also they get in touch with you and for sure so I, I guess I'll have to rescind my uh, connection I sent over today because I sent it without a personal message. <laughs> oh, but I, I know your name, so that's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no worries, man. That, but you, you know, thank you so much for dropping that. Thanks again, man. It's been an awesome pleasure talking to you. I uh, really appreciate it. You know, can't wait to see where Salesforce ends up in the next seven and a half years. Thank you. It's a fun interview. That'll do it, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Success Bug. If you enjoyed this interview, please leave an honest rating and review. It helps us grow. It helps us find new subscribers like yourselves and ultimately complete our goal, which is to help you all escape the nine to five one episode at a time. I'll see you all next week where I will be sitting down with Marcus, breaking down the net worth of another celebrity or entrepreneur. We'll see you all then. Have a great weekend.